get the fortunate opportunity to follow pastor after this morning's message. Jeez. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Was, I, I needed that uh, this morning. I hope, I hope you were as touched as I was. Um, okay, so I, I, God's got a good word for you this evening. Um, and uh, what, what's really cool, anytime I have a word and I feel like God has given it to me, I just watch and see that God um, confirms that. Because um, if it's not confirmed by God, then I don't want to preach it. Um, and so, sometimes it's the day of, sometimes it's the week of, you know, and, and, and I always just sit and wait. And there have been times, and Carrie can attest to this, where I'll leave my notes on the kitchen table and she'll say, do you need these? <laughs> I'm like, nope, God took that message away. <laughs> like, you know, I had written thoughts down, things that I was planning on preaching on. And um, it was really cool because yesterday... Uh, at the men's golf outing, God confirmed it with John's little, you know, it was 15 minutes that John was talking, but just something that John said, I went, okay, good, check. And then here tonight, I didn't talk to Rod um, about what he was playing, the music that they would be, the songs they were playing tonight, but um, the Walk by Faith song, uh, you know, that this broken road um, will will lead us to God's will. And so, God has confirmed this message tonight, so I, I hope that, um, that you're touched by this. But I want to start with a story. This story uh, goes back to about the beginning of July, maybe the end of June. Um, and so the past three years, I've coached football at John Glenn um, in, in middle school. Um, and when I first started it, it was um, an opportunity that I hadn't had before. And I played football, and I, I just wanted to coach. And it was, I don't want to say selfish reasons, but... I thought it was a good thing to get into. Well, the last couple of years, it's been more financial than anything. And so as I was looking at our budget at the beginning of June, or the end of June, beginning of July, and Karen and I talked and I said, am I coaching this year? And, and numbers weren't really adding up. And I thought, well, okay, I need to coach. Um, and I just felt this little, like, nudge, like God saying, no, I don't want you coaching this year. Because what coaching does as it takes me away from anything that I can do in the church, um, anything, whether it's preaching, because it's just consu- it's time consuming, um, and I'm always tired for those two and a half, three months um, of coaching football, and it's just time consuming. And so, just kind of felt like God saying no, but then I'm looking at the paper, going, "We're going to run out of money. I have to coach. Uh, you know, it's got to be a financial decision." And so, and I even told Rod. Rod and I were talking, and I said, "Yeah, I'm going to, you know, try and." get back into coming to band practice in the fall and I I'm, don't think I'm coaching football and then I started looking at the numbers and then of course I get a phone call from the uh, athletic director and he asked me are, are you coaching um, and I said well if everything stays the same right now yeah I'm going to coach um, and we were kind of waiting on uh, Carrie to hear about a, a new job and, and I would wish I could have made that decision before I knew whether or not she would have that job and um, so this is the beginning of July, um, and I really had this pressing from God that I shouldn't be coaching. Financially, I felt like I, I should be. Um, if there's anything I've learned in my Christian walk, it's this, that when God presses something um, on you, and, and that's what God wants, he'll get it. It just might not be the way that you planned for it, right? And so... His will will happen one way or another. Um, and there, there, there comes a point where we have to be obedient to what 
he has asked us to do. And if we're not obedient, we're still going to get to the same end point. It's just going to be a longer road. And so what ended up happening is Carrie, and I felt like God telling me, just have faith, Chase. You know, just have faith. You've done this before. Have faith. And I talked to the assistant principal, and, or the principal, and he's a Christian, and he was one of my football coaches. He wasn't a Christian when he was my football coach, but he is now. So we've developed this, you know, it used to be a, a coach and a, a player, and now it's like we're brothers in Christ. And so as I was talking to him, I said, listen, I, I really feel like I shouldn't be spiritually. Like, I feel like God telling me not to, but I feel like I need to. And ultimately, the decision was made I was coaching, Okay. And this was in the beginning of July. So Carrie, the, there was a really long process to find out that she got a new job, um, which was a blessing in itself. It was all God. Um, it was none of our doing. Um, and we were on the mission trip, and I, I began to, like, not sleep um, because I was getting a little stressed out about football. And I'm like, okay, we've got a four-month-old, two-year-old. You're starting a new job. And I'm going to be coaching football, which is stressful in and of itself. Okay. And so I really felt, and Carrie just mentions in passing, she was like, well, you know, it would be a lot easier if, uh, if you weren't coaching football for this new job. <laughs> and, and so it was like, you know, dagger right in the heart. I'm like, I know I made a mistake. And so the easy thing would have been to do when the athletic director called me to do what I know that God had pressed upon my heart, which was to say, no, I can't do this. And this is a small story. But I had to take the hard road, which was the day before the season started, I had to call the athletic director and have a conversation with them and say, listen, this isn't what I want to do. I really feel like I should, like, I really want to coach, but I feel like I shouldn't for my family and and other reasons. And it was a hard conversation. And I had to do that because I didn't do the easy thing, which was listen to God a month before. And so the point that I'm making is... um, God's ways um, and, and his plans aren't always what we set out for. And so I'm going to open with this scripture, um, and it's Proverbs 16, 9. It says, and this is, everything tonight will be a New Living Translation, sorry. It says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You know, I don't think budgeting is bad. Um, you know, I, I plan months out and ahead, and, um, but that sometimes changes my decisions and so my decisions become financially based rather than spiritually based and I felt God telling me Chase have faith and I didn't listen and I had even told some people I don't feel like I should coach this year I don't know why I just feel like God pressing on me that I shouldn't coach and 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 I didn't listen to that um and I was planning my ways but the Lord directed my steps and in the end it was evident that that's what God wanted um And so wherever you are uh, in your journey of life, um, know that that God determines our steps. Um, And what I want to talk tonight about is the sovereignty of God. Um, And actually where this comes from is is in Ezekiel. You know the dry bones, the story of the dry bones. In verse 3, Ezekiel 37, verse 3, it says, Then he asked me, Son of man, can can these bones become living people again? And I said, O sovereign Lord. I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And that word sovereign sticks out to me. Now, it might stick out more to me than, than, than you, um, because that's a concept that I teach in school, sovereignty. Um, that word 
means all-powerful, possessing all power. And so as a government teacher, what I teach it is, I teach sovereignty as the people in the government are sovereign. You guys hold the power to the government, um, whether that holds true anymore or not. Um, but that's the concept, is sovereignty. Um, but that word sticks out to me. Because I think a lot of times we forget that God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. That word sovereign means supreme, absolute, unlimited, unrestricted, boundless, ultimate, total, unconditional. God possesses supreme or ultimate power. And I think a lot of times we miss that. And we, we want the way, we want things done our way. Not necessarily God's way. Um, and God has specific things that he wants for us, and we know uh, that those things are good. His thoughts are good towards us. Um, and a lot of times, we, we paint these pictures in our mind, and if they're not what we want, um, sometimes we get down, we get sad, we get upset. Um, and this might be hitting more home to my family. Um, you know, we've prayed for baby Olivia for the past, uh, I mean, I've, we've probably known uh, about her heart condition um, and, and Down syndrome for probably six months before she was born. And you can believe in faith um, that God can make those things right and make those things whole. But that doesn't mean that that's God's will because God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He has unlimited power. And as the scripture in Ezekiel 37.3 says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so as our family's been praying for the past six months, we've been praying for the picture we want to paint. Do you understand? The picture that we want, what we believe is good, what we believe is true, what we believe is right. And the scripture says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. God knows. His plans are not our plans. They're different. And you know, in the end, they're better. It's rewarding. God knows what he's doing. He holds us in his hands. Um, and so this is a journey that I think um, all of us have been through, but it's good to be reminded of, is that God is sovereign. And sometimes um, when you're in a valley and things are dark, um, all you see is the darkness, like Pastor was preaching this morning. The only thing that you can see is the darkness around you. Um, and it's hard to see the good that can come from the things that haunt you and you feel that are so bad. Um, and so what I want to look at tonight is I want to look at the life of two people. The first person is Joseph. So we're going to be in Genesis. There's a lot of scripture tonight. I hope that's okay. But we're going to look at Joseph, and then we're going to look at Jonah, uh, and we're going to read essentially the entire uh, book of Jonah. But I want to look at their lives and... And how God is all-powerful. And even though at times, um, and they're two very different stories. One was a person's decision, and one, bad things just happened. Um, but I want to see how God is glorified in those bad times. And then um, even Jonah making decisions on his own. Um, and just like me, I was making my own decisions. God brought me back to where I needed to be. It was a harder conversation. It was a harder situation. Um, but God is all-powerful. Um, he is sovereign. And, we, and that's something as a, as a church, we have to grasp that. Um, it's, it's him and him alone. 
Okay, so if you will, turn to Genesis 37. Uh, we're going to start with verse 14. Um, and you know the story of Joseph. I'm skipping over the beginnings of this. Um, Joseph was um, the most loved, right? Um, he was even given his coat of many colors, the, the beautiful robe. Um, and he begins to have these visions, these dreams. Um, and essentially in the dreams, he said, you know, we we're out in the fields. Um, and, and these ten wheats bowed to mine. They circled around him. And it, it was symbol, symbolizing that his brothers would bow to him one day. Um, and so his brothers began to not like Joseph uh, very much. Um, they, they, they felt that he was arrogant. Um, their dad liked him better. Um, and so that's where we pick up verse 14. It says, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from, from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he ar- arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. He said, what are you looking for, he asked. Verse 16, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved, moved on from here. But I've I've heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. And so here you have, and I don't know what your life story is, but there are times in your life where you're going, this is a dark valley. This is is a dark place to be. There's adversity. Um, It could be losing a job. It could be um, losing a family member. You know, the list goes on where we find ourselves in these deep, deep, dark valleys. I've never had my brother plot to kill me. That's a dark place to be. And it's not just one of his brothers. It was ten of his brothers were plotting to kill him. Um, Actually, nine, because Reuben wasn't. Um, But his brothers were plotting to kill him because they didn't like him. Um, They didn't like his dreams that he was having, the relationship that he had with his father. And that's a dark place to be. And Joseph could live in that darkness if he wanted to. Okay? My brothers, he he could sulk in it if he wanted to. You know, my brothers hate me. Um, I don't get to go out with the sheep. I have to stay at home. Um, And so, but he doesn't. That's not, not the attitude that Joseph is taking on. 19 here he comes the dream or here comes the dreamer they said and so they're mocking him and i'm sure we've all and actually yesterday we had a birthday party um for for my nephew jameson and so they're around first and second grade he's seven um and they're at that point where they're starting to taunt and mock and um and i think one of the and there was one point where we're like two or three of them they were in the pool playing we're like picking on the oldest one um and they were calling him a fat head, and just a bunch of different names, right? And, and they were mocking him. And I think any, anyone in this room can think of a time where they were made fun of, they were mocked, um, and it hurts. But these are his brothers, you know, the closest people to him. They're making fun of, they're mocking him. Um, and then they're plotting to kill him. 
that's a dark place to be. And Joseph could, he could live in that darkness if he chose to. Okay, he could live in that darkness that, you know, my brothers hate me, they make fun of me, they call, you know, they, they mock me and call me the dreamer. Um, but he doesn't. And what's awesome is God uses Joseph's life. He uses all these bad things. God had a plan for his life even through these bad things. Um, 20. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into the cistern. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what he becomes, we'll see what, ha- what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of this scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue, rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And you can imagine what it's like um, to come upon, I mean, you can only imagine what it's like to come uh, come across your, your siblings. And they tear your clothes off and throw you into this empty cistern and leave you there, right? And so he's at the bottom of the cistern. And can you imagine the thoughts that are going through Joseph's mind? You know, about the dreams that he had had uh, where his brothers would bow down to him uh, and they would come to him for needs. Um, And he's got to be questioning God, going, God, this isn't what that dream resembled. Um, This isn't what I expected my life to be. And I think so many times we find ourselves in that in that position where we question God and we ask God, why? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to go through this? This is so hard. Why, God? Why do bad things happen to me? And imagine Joseph at the bottom of the cistern where his brothers have just thrown him in there, ripped his clothes off, and they're going to leave him there. He's got to be questioning God, right? All of us would be. God, why? This is horrible. Why would you allow such a thing to happen to me, one of your children? Uh, 25. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from, the, from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain from killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, He is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Again, another point where Joseph has to be going, that's all I'm worth to my brothers is 20 pieces of silver? You know, when, I'm, when I was younger, I, I'd be curious to see what Jason would have sold me for. He would have tried to get more. If you know my brother, he would have gotten more than 20 pieces of silver. He would have been selling me, you know, finding good points of why you would want to buy me. Um, but Joseph has to be going, that's it? I'm worth 20 pieces of silver? This is my own, this is my own flesh and blood. These are my brothers. 
And it has to be a dark place where Joseph is questioning God and saying, God, why? But we know the end game for Joseph. We know what happens with him. We know where he ends up, and we, end, we know how God ends up using him. And so many times, I think, in our life, we get stuck in the papers that Pastor Joe was throwing this morning. All the stuff that Pastor listed, we get stuck in that, and we forget that this isn't our end. This isn't what God has for us. This isn't all that is there. And I do it myself. You know, we get stuck in the daily grind, and it's easy to. Um, You know, when you're consumed by raising kids or your health or uh, going to work, it's easy to get consumed by that and to forget um, that God has great things for you, even though you may not see them right now. Even though you may not see the fruits of them until we're in heaven, right? And then, then you know the fruit. <clears throat> 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Grief. <clears throat> then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? And the brothers, then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's ro- robe in his blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with a message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midian... Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. <clears throat> and we know what, what happens shortly after this. Joseph's trials, his struggles aren't over. You know, if we would continue reading, we would see what he goes through um, with Potiphar's wife. We would see how he gets thrown into prison. We would then see how he finds favor uh, with the Pharaoh. Uh, for being able to interpret dreams. And so, his struggles aren't over. Um, I mean, we only have, you know, an hour or so for, to talk about this. We could spend the entire hour looking at Joseph, but I, I want to look at Jonah as well. So I'm going to skip over a couple chapters, but if we would look in, um, if, we, if you would continue on in Genesis, past 37, um, all the way up to 45, and read Joseph's life, he goes through a lot of struggles. There were a lot of bad things that came upon him. And even when he was just trying to do good, uh, you know, if you look at the story of Potiphar's wife, she was the one in the wrong. And then she, she um, pins it on him. She makes up this story, rips off his clothes. He leaves his robe behind. And he gets thrown into jail. Um, and there's all this bad stuff that happens. And Joseph could say, why, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? And we would. All of us would. I, I think that's a natural human reaction. You know, um, When I found out uh, about Olivia, and, and at that point it was just a heart condition, um, I was crying. I was talking to Carrie, and I, I told her, I said, Jessica doesn't deserve this. You know, and that was my, that's my human reaction because I'm one of anyone. My sister's the sweetest person in the world. She doesn't deserve this stress. You know? She's got two boys. She's raising a family. And I'm going, she doesn't deserve this. Anyone in this world uh, that wouldn't deserve this, this would be my sister. And 
That's natural human reaction, right? And Joseph could have done that same thing. He could have been shaking his fists at God, going, why God? Change this, fix this. You messed up. Um, but we see the good that comes from Joseph's life. So if you, if you turn to Genesis chapter 42, we're going to go uh, 1 through 8 in, in 42. It says, when Jacob heard the grant that, okay, so, sorry, catch you up to speed. There's a famine. Uh, famine breaks out uh, in, in the land of Canaan, um, but in the Middle Eastern region, okay? Now, there are reasons why Egypt would be um, okay during a time of famine, They've got the Nile River, right? So there's a lot of water there. Uh, they, they were able to maintain grain during the, uh, the famine time. Okay, so <clears throat> Canaan is in a famine. Verse 1. Uh, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there was grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. And so he... Jacob looks at his sons and says, go, get grain. We're going to die if you don't do anything. Um, so Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and was in charge of selling grain to all the people, it, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him and their faces to the ground. And this, this is the, um, the dream that Joseph has in chapter 37. This is it coming to light. You know, his brothers are bowing before him, and he is now in, in control of their destiny. Um, and this is God's plan the entire time. God's plan is for uh, Joseph to be in charge of the grain so he can supply his family. How awesome is that? Do you think Joseph was thinking about that when he's sitting at the bottom of the cistern? When his brothers had just torn his clothes off and thrown him in the bottom? Was he thinking about that when he found out that he was only worth 20 pieces of silver? He wasn't thinking about the plans that God had for him in the end. And I think a lot of times that's what we do as humans is we get stuck in the here and now. And, and one thing that we have to remember is we're not our own. You know, we've been bought. Um, in my life and in Carrie and I's life, whenever we're going through something, the only thing we can cling to is we're children of God. And whatever God has for us, is better than what we can plan for ourselves. Um, and if you don't believe that's true, look at your unsaved family members, and it will not take you very much time at all because they've tried to make their own steps. They've tried to make their own plans. And I can almost guarantee you, uh, no, I can guarantee you, they're not any happier or better off than you. They may look happier. They may look, might have nicer stuff. Um, but they don't have the joy of the Lord. Verse 7, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. Why have we have come to buy food? Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And I envision this, I envision, you know, if you think of, of Egypt, I, I envision him 
being very ornately dressed. Um, he may have had makeup on. Uh, he, was, he would have been speaking. If you, if you read through there, um, there, he was speaking another language. And so they may not have recognized their brother, especially how would they think that their brother would be sitting in this position of power? You know, they sold him into slavery. They would never have thought that their brother would have found favor under the Pharaoh and been in charge of distributing the grain. So we're going to skip to chapter 45. Um, so what, what happens in, the, in between chapters? Um, he sends uh, his brothers home with the grain. He gives them their money back in their grain. Uh, and they're a little scared about that because they, they are being accused, he accuses them of being spies. Um, he puts them in prison. He keeps one of them in prison. Tells them to go back and bring Benjamin um, to prove that they're not spies. Um, and essentially what happens is they, he, he puts the, the cup in, in the one brother's uh, the sack of grain. Um, they're scared to death, thinking that, that they're going to die because uh, they stole from, from um, this powerful person. Um, and he gets them alone in a room. And this is what he says. Uh, 45 verse 3 says, I am Joseph, said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said to them again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of, of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And so Joseph realizes that it was God. There's a realization point. And it may have taken, you know, we don't, we don't have um, the day-by-day journey of Joseph. Um, we don't know when he realized that. Um, maybe it was when he found favor from Pharaoh. But we don't know when he realized that this is God. This was God's plan. But that's the only thing that we can hold on to, church, is that God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. His plans are better than our plans. His ways are better than our ways. Even when we're in the middle of bad things, the only thing we can hold on to is God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. His plans are better than ours. Verse 8. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there, and there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all of your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go and tell my father and my honor, of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. And so again, he says, uh, I believe it was in 8, that it was God 
who did this. Sorry, nine. Um, no, it was eight. That God put me in this position. God uh, helped me find favor with Pharaoh. And so when you're looking at your life, and, um, you know, a lot of times in, in America, we're going to say, well, it's the American dream, and, and whatever position I hold in, in, in my job is because I've worked hard and I've put myself there. No, God places us um, where he wants us. Carrie and I always pray that God will close doors and we won't be able to open them. And that God will open doors that no man can shut. And we don't want to walk through doors um, unless God opens them. And that's understanding that God is sovereign and God is all-powerful. Because if, if, it's, if it's Chase doing the work, um, then it's, much, it's harder. You know, it's a lot harder. You know, if I apply for a job and I don't get it and I do it in my own power, then it's like, what did I do wrong? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not up to speed. I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But if I apply for a job and I don't get it, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, it's a lot easier because I go, God shut that door. And it, it, we can do the same thing with health reasons or death or, you know, you, you want to, shake your fist at God and say, God, I prayed that you would heal my aunt. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, God is sovereign. As Scripture in Ezekiel says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's God. It's not us. It's not our prayers. Uh, and we will see in, in Jonah, uh, you can petition God. Nineveh did. They changed God's mind. Um, and, and we'll see that when we get there. Um, but we have to hold on to, church, the sovereignty of God and understand that it's God's doing in our life. And sometimes, bad things happen. And maybe it was our bad decisions that put us there. But God has an end game for us. He has a place for us. He's, he's taken us. That broken road that Rod sang about, um, it's, it's determining his will for our lives. So let's turn to Jonah. And I'll go through Jonah quickly. It's almost eight. Um, so we're going to start with Jonah chapter one. It said, Jonah gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Uh, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down uh, to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by uh, sailing to Tarshish. So Jonah deliberately went the opposite direction that God called him to go. In June, late June, early July, I made a decision opposite of what God wanted me to. And in the end, I had to, I had to correct that. Okay? It was a longer road. I stressed out about it. Um, I had to, to make amends with certain people. Um, and it was not, in the end, God got what he wanted. But it wasn't the road that God had planned. Okay? Um, and it's the same thing with Jonah. He looks at this. God says, go to Nineveh. And he goes, I'm going this way. He went in the opposite direction of God. And we see, I think it's in chapter 3, why Jonah did that. Um, and he did it because he went there to 
proclaimed their destruction, and then God changed his mind and found favor on Nineveh. And he said, God, I knew you would do this because you're, you're loving and you're merciful, and you made me out to look like a liar. And so Jonah kind of gets mad at God. And that's why he went in the opposite direction. He went in the opposite direction because he didn't want to look like a fool claiming their destruction. Um, so verse 4. But the Lord, Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare us our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended their gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lot identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this is a terrible storm. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And so Jonah at least has um, the guts to understand why this storm happened. I think sometimes in the middle of all of our storms, when we make bad decisions, we want to point the finger and blame other people. But at least he has um, the guts to say, no, it's my fault. I disobeyed the Lord. I'm in this bad place. We're all in this bad place because I made a bad decision. And so he tells them, just throw me into the deep, and the storm will will, will, uh, be gone. It will be calm. And 13, instead the sailors rode even harder uh, to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, uh, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins, and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into this raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. And now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And this is what I also love about God. Even in our, uh, our mistakes and our stupidity, God works good through that. The sailors were saved because of, of Jonah's stupidity, right? He would have never been on that ship. That storm would have never happened if he obeyed God. But God brought good to those sailors' lives. Um, and what I like is they were praying to their gods, little g gods, in the beginning of the story. And by the end of the story, uh, their portion of the story, they're praying to the Lord, Yahweh, the Hebrew God. They're praying to them, him for safety and to uh, not make them responsible for Jonah's death. And they, they vow to worship him. And God brings good through that bad situation. Um, and what I love about this is that shows the character of God. That even though we make mistakes, even though we make bad decisions, God brings good on the way to his will. Now, he'll still get Jonah to Nineveh. We know the story. He gets Jonah to Nineveh. 
but he also touches other people's lives through Jonah's mistakes. And that's what I love about God. That's, that shows the character of God. That even though we make mistakes, even though we mess up, and we find ourselves in places that we were never supposed to be, God still works good in those places. Right? Amen? Okay, uh, we're going to skip over chapter 2. Chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer while he's in the, in the belly of the fish. Um, and at the very end of the chapter, he says, um, you know, the, the uh, fish spits him up on the shore. So, verse 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took him three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent a decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. And so this, I want to articulate a point. Okay? It's the sovereignty of God. This is a point in time where God decided to change his mind. He decided to change the, the current circumstances, the current situations. And a lot of times with uh, Christians, you know, they'll want to create a formula. I've got friends who say, well, if I pray about this, pray about this, pray about this, you'll be healed. Bam. It's a f- magical formula. What I found is, in my life and in my Christianity is I'm called to pray for people. And if God decides to heal people, God will heal people. It's nothing that Chase can do. Okay, it's all the power of God. And here's a situation where God decided to heal a situation. Okay, he decided not to destroy Nineveh. Okay, and it was because of their actions, because they changed their, their path, their direction, and God found favor on them. And he did, in this situation, change his mind. We can still petition God. And here's one thing I want to articulate. We can't just... Jump on, the ba- uh, jump on the sovereignty train and say, okay, God's sovereign, I'm not going to pray for him, or I'm not going to pray f- uh, to change his mind. I'm not going to pray for things. Um, and mom and I were actually talking about this um, with someone, um, and, and essentially what this person said was, well, after my mom died, it changed the way I pray um, because I just know that God's going to do whatever uh, God's going to do, which is a good place to be, to understand that that's the sovereignty of God. But that doesn't mean you stop praying. That doesn't mean that you stop asking God to do things. That doesn't mean you stop asking God to save your husband or, or to heal people or to help you find a job or to cure disease. Or That doesn't mean we stop, church. Just because God is all-powerful and it's his decision and in his timing, it doesn't mean that we stop. We see here, what if Nineveh would have just stopped? Right? What if they said, oh, well, the destruction of the God is upon us? We better not do anything. It's his decision. He's all-powerful. He's just going to destroy us. Well, yeah, see, 
Uh, now we've got 38 days. Let's count down. Do you understand? You know where that, so Nineveh changed God's mind. They petitioned God. They changed his sense. That doesn't mean we quit. Okay? We, just because God is all-powerful, the ball's in his court, doesn't mean that we don't pray, we don't seek God um, earnestly, right? Okay, go to chapter 4. Verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. And so now we have God did something amazing, something good. And, we still, and what I've found about humans, we complain. Whether good or bad, we complain. Okay? If something bad happens, why, God, why? If something good happens, we say, well, that's not how I saw it going. You know, that wasn't the way we planned. I knew this would happen. Um, it's amazing that Jonah is upset about this. And the reason he's upset is even more ridiculous. It's because God was so merciful and loving. You know, that's why he's mad. Um, so he said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. So he tells God, I ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh because I knew you would do this. I knew I would go and I would profess that you would destroy Nineveh and then you would be loving and merciful and I would look like a liar. So what's he doing? He's making the story about who? Jonah. It's about him. And that's what we do in our lives, right? You know, a bad situation comes and we go, why me? Not seeing what God is doing through that situation. All lot, when you're going through a valley, eyes are on you. Especially unsaved eyes. People are watching. They're seeing how you're handling it. They're watching what you do. And I'll tell you what, they notice the peace that you have in the middle of a storm. Unsaved people know there's a difference about you, especially when you're in the middle of a storm. When you're in that valley and they know it, and they just go, how are, it has to be God. There's no other explanation. Because every other human would react so differently in the middle of whatever your dark valley is. Okay? And I told, uh, I've told mom this about Dustin. You know, Dustin's family is watching him right now. And, and if you haven't been watching Dustin... He has grown so much in the past six months. It's amazing. And his parents are seeing it. We're seeing changes in his parents. And there's good that's coming from it, right? And God is all powerful. He knows what he's doing, okay? But we as humans, again, we're going to you know, shake our fists in good and in bad. And, and it's, it's just funny uh, how Jonah reacts. He said, I knew, you were, I knew you were merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are, eager to, um, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if, I were predicted, um, if what I had predicted will not happen. Again, the story's about him. He's turning that story on him and his predictions. That's what's important to Jonah in this story. He's going, God, if I would have, you know, that's, I was, I knew you were going to do that. You're so loving, merciful, and slow to anger, and, you know, you're not eager to kill people. I, jeez, I'd rather be dead than for people to think that I was wrong. Then, then, I'd rather be dead 
than for people to experience your merciful, loving, unfailing kindness, right? That's where Jonah's at. Um, and and it's, it's ridiculous, and that's where I find myself sometimes, you know? We find ourselves, and we make the story about us and how we feel and how we get upset. And, God, this isn't how, what I planned and how I wanted it to happen. His ways are greater than ours, church, because he's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows what is right for us. <clears throat> the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And it's a great question, you know. Jonah, why are you, is it, is it right for you to be upset about this? Um, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant, plant to grow there. And this is a, this is a really cool story. Um, and what I love about it is it just ends. Okay, there, we, know, we see no resolve with Jonah. We don't see how he responds to God at the end of this. Um, but God makes a point, and that's it. And that's what's awesome, and it leaves us with that, and that's what we're going to leave with on this point. Um, and g- the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning, at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, and it withered away. And you know what? Sometimes God arranges for worms in our life. And I don't know why. And this one, this worm was arranged in Jonah's life to show him his bad attitude. To show him he was in the wrong. And sometimes God sends worms in our life, and that might be small worms. And I actually believe the, the comment Dustin made after they found out about the heart condition on baby Olivia, he said, well, if this is what God had to do to get me right, then that's good. Um, because he just felt like he wasn't being the, the spiritual leader of his family. And he said, if that's what God had to do, that's what God had to do. And you know, that's a great place to be, to know that God sends worms, which are bad things that destroy things. And sometimes God sends those worms and we don't know why. We don't know why they're there. They look like all they're doing is destruction. But God is showing us things. God's changing us. He's changing our hearts, our attitudes. He's bringing us to this realization point that we've been in the wrong. Or we've been looking at this situation all wrong. That this isn't bad. That God's going to bring good from this. That this bad place isn't the end. That God has good that will come from it. Um, verse was that i'm sorry okay uh but uh, god also arranged the worm seven uh the next morning at dawn the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away and as the sun grew hot god arranged for the scorching east wind to blow on jonah the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die he says death is certainly better than living like this he exclaimed then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, that you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should I feel sorry for such a great city? And so God is proving to Jonah <clears throat> that it's his decision to spare the city. You know, he created that city. He put it there. He put the people there. There's 120,000 people living there in spiritual darkness. He wanted them to turn from their wicked ways. Destruction wasn't his ultimate end game. That's not what God wanted. God wanted them to turn from spiritual darkness. He used Jonah through that. Jonah made the story about himself and about him being prophetic and telling them, turn from your evil ways because God's going to destroy the city in 40 days. But once they turned and God saw that they had turned away from their evil deeds, he was merciful. And that's the story. That's the greatest part of the story is God had a plan. God is sovereign. And when we make the story about us and about our feelings and how we feel about it, we distort the point that it's God's story. What he is doing is greater than what we want to do. What he's doing is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He gets to call the shots. And I know I've preached something similar to this in the past, and that's because I find myself sometimes questioning God. I'm going, God, why? I don't like that. That's not where I wanted to be. This isn't the route that I took. These were my goals. Um, and, you know, I think God laughs at my goals uh, because God knows where he wants me. He knows what he wants me doing. He knows where he wants Carrie. He knows where he wants your family, whatever, okay? And I know I talk about, you know, jobs because that's been hot on Carrie and I's lives the past year. Um, but God places us where he wants us for his purpose and not for ours. Um, my purpose here is not to make money and get rich. and It's where God has me. And right now, it's in contact with nearly 200 students every single day showing them the light of God. And I have to remember that. And you have to remember that you're not just a, an accountant. You're not just a, a teacher. You're not just a truck driver. You're a child of the living God. And God has plan and a purpose for you where you are, even in those dark times. And so I didn't ask Rod this before, but can you guys play Walk by Faith? Come up and play that. Listen to the words of this song. I will walk by faith even when I cannot see because your broken road prepares your will for me. God is preparing his will for your life, um, his plan, his purpose. And when we get caught up in the me game and the my, you know, I game, we lose that it's God's will, his purpose, his plan. Um, we have to walk by faith, church. Um, He's got great plans for you, and you may never see them on this earth.